Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. When we aren't afraid of death, we are less afraid of life. From these episodes, my goal is for all of us to take more risks in life, go after our dreams, have great relationships, and maybe even some joy in the process. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international bestseller, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Today, I'm really excited to introduce you to Mark Ireland. I met Mark at a conference earlier this year and truly, truly was impressed how genuine he is. Mark is the son of the world-renowned psychic to the stars, Richard Ireland, and he, as a son, has led a much more conventional life, being an advertising executive. However, the unexpected death of Mark's son, Brandon, led him into the world of mediums and psychics, trying to find answers about life after death. His pain caused him to dig back into his family roots, and he has concluded that physical death is not the end. Mark is passionate about helping people understand this, and also speaks of the importance of the life we are living right now. Mark Ireland is the author of two great books, Soul Shift, Finding Where the Dead Go, and Messages from the Afterlife. A Bereaved Father's Journey in the World of Spirit Visitations, Psychic Mediums, and Synchronicity. Mark has also released a previously unpublished book his father had written, titled Your Psychic Potential, A Guide to Psychic Development. It is my privilege to introduce you to my friend Mark Ireland. Hello, Mark. Hey, Sandra. How are you doing? Oh, I am great. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really happy to be here. Yeah, I was absolutely thrilled when I got to put my eyes on you back in Scottsdale earlier this year, and um, you were somebody who had sent me a PDF copy of your book, and oh, I was so busy trying to market my book, I hadn't even, lo even looked at yours. But after we connected, um, I think yours was the first book, Soul Shift was the first book that I read, and I was just blown away, and it was like, I just wanted to be your friend, I wanted to know more, and... Um, you know, you and I have talked about developing a seminar together and doing all kinds of fun things. So if you would, just kind of introduce yourself to our listener and kind of how you got into this world. Sure, happy to. Um, like as you, as you said, I have led a fairly conventional life, uh, as an adult at least, uh, although growing up my dad was uh, a psychic and a medium, although back in those days he didn't talk about the mediumship that much, except you know, in certain quarters, uh, but it was, you had to present it more as entertainment in, um, different types of venues. Although he was also a minister, he had his own church. Um, it was a very, um, cutting edge church, I guess you'd call it more of a metaphysical type of a church where he would demonstrate the mediumship in that, uh, environment more, but otherwise in public venues, which, uh, you know, he went into initially, to open people's minds to different to thinking outside the box and considering that maybe we're more than just a body and a brain, and maybe we really are a soul or a spirit. Um, and by just even if he could get someone to open their mind just a crack, he figured that he did his part to get them thinking. Yeah. So I grew up with a unique father like that, and just you know, as a, a couple stories that I like to tell as examples, um, when my parents were first married, uh, my mom you know, was trying to become a vegetarian. 
And so she had been successful for a couple of months. And then one day she just had this craving for, for red meat and she ran out and got a burger. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, later that evening, my dad comes home for the day and first words out of his mouth are, so Shirley, did you enjoy your hamburger today? <laughs> Which greatly frustrated her. Because she uh, couldn't keep any secrets. Right. And I had an older brother. I still have an older brother. But, mm-hmm. he, you know, at the time he was a teenager, I was a little kid. But, you know, my dad always sniffed out everything he was doing from having somebody buy him beer before he was of age <laughs> to drag racing his car. And so he once said to my dad, how would you like to have a dad like you? Uh, oops, kind of ironic. And uh, later on, when I was, uh, I think I was 19 years old, I took a date. It was actually our second date, um, who's now my wife, Susie, out to see my father. And uh, I wasn't a really good planner back then, and sometimes I would just make a decision on what we're going to do at the last minute, and this mm-hmm. night was such a case. So I said, hey, what do you want to do? She said, I don't care. And I said, well, you want to go see my father, and he's appearing over here. And she said, sure. And so my father's normal psychic demonstration was to tape his eyes shut with 10 strips of Johnson Johnson medical tape and then have three black blindfolds over that and then more tape over top of that, covering down below his eyes and everything. He even cover his nostrils for effect because he once said somebody accused him of having holes bored between his eyes and his nose so he could see out its nostrils. Oh, my. So anyhow, he would get all bandaged up and taped up and then people would write questions and then they'd be delivered up to him and then he would pick up the papers and answer the questions. And he would not only get what they wrote in the paper, but they'd give them a lot of details that were far beyond what was written, uh, including names of people, specific things that were really, I mean, he really hit home with this stuff. So I take my uh, date there um, that night, and we get there late because I'm running late. And uh, my father's already started. He's already blindfolded. He's already giving messages to people. So I encourage her to write a question on a piece of paper but she did, and it was set up, but she didn't really know what to ask. So she asked if her um, mother would ever get married uh, to the man she was dating. Because her mom was single at the time, and she'd been dating this guy for an extended period. He wanted to marry the mom, but the mom wasn't so sure. Hmm. So anyhow, uh, Susie sends the question up, and finally my dad gets to it. And he picks up this paper, and he says, Susie Sipe. Um And she says, here. And he says, well... I think you've asked me a question about your mother and when she's going to get married. I don't know about your mother, my dear, but you have made your choice of men and he's with you tonight and you'll be getting married to him. And then oh. I spoke up. I said, uh, Dad, you just, uh, uh, we're talking about me. I said, uh, Susie's my date. And he says, oh my gosh, I just married off my own son. Oh, that's funny. So, so growing up with my dad, was it was very cool and... Um, I saw that side of it, the psychic side of him mm-hmm. knowing a lot of things and in detail and kind of know, could figure out anything that was going on without any sensory information. But I also saw the mediumship side, more in the church, <clears throat> him giving really detailed messages to people uh, with names, first and last names of people who had passed and information about them that no one could know and relaying messages. And it always stuck with me as a, as a little kid how comforting that was to just realize, wow, you know, there really, there is more. But then growing up, I really didn't strive to be my dad. I, I was my own person. I think yeah. not many kids strive to be their parent, right? Well, and then you um, have a superstar father, and I don't know 
You, you hear about yeah. people in the entertainment industry that a lot of times the kids try to get away from that or I don't know. Yeah, like Jerry Lewis and Gary Lewis. Yes. <laughs> um, that didn't work out as well for Gary, but he did have one hit record with his band mm-hmm. a long time ago. Anyhow, um, so yeah, th- that was a, those are big shoes to fill. And even though my dad said I was psychic, I really didn't think of myself that way. It didn't come to me naturally. And so I just kind of went down a conventional course. And my parents had divorced, too, so it wasn't like, you know, after a certain age, I wasn't around my dad all the time, although in the summertime I was around him more, <clears throat> which I enjoyed a lot. But, um, you know, then going to college and then getting married and having kids going into the business world, I just kind of got absorbed into the standard U.S. way of living, you know, yes. earning, a, earning a check and doing my own thing. And I think what what broke this off for me was um, in 2004, my youngest son, Brandon, unexpectedly died uh, while hiking a mountain near our home in Arizona. And um, so it was just earth shattering. Um, but I did immediately think back to those times as a child, the things I'd seen and the evidence I'd seen of, of the afterlife through my father's abilities. And uh, one of the first people I called was my Uncle Robert, who was still alive. Now, my dad had passed by then, but my Uncle Robert was still alive, and he had very similar abilities. He asked if I could do, if he could do anything for me, and I just said, well, if you have any, if you have any way of getting a connection to Brandon or information about Brandon, I'd really appreciate it. It was uh, two... Maybe three days later, I can't remember at this point exactly because it's been 10 years. But um, I got a call in the mortuary. I was making arrangements for the service, and uh, it was my uncle. And he told, and at this time, just so you know, uh, we didn't know Brandon's cause of death. All we knew was that his friends had told us that um, he had reported having what he felt was a rapid heartbeat, and his limbs felt a little numb. Um, and so. Uh, my uncle at this point, he said, uh, Mark, I tried to meditate last night and I, I, I couldn't get anything. But this morning I got up and I did my morning meditation. Your dad came to me and he, mm. he wanted you to know that um, he was there for Brandon when Brandon crossed over. Brandon was a little confused initially, but he helped him adjust. He wanted you to know that you're the best parent he ever could have had, oh. which is which is what you'd want to hear as a parent. But on the heels of that, he said... Uh, your dad told me that Brandon's death was caused by a lack of oxygen that caused his heart to fail. So two days later or so, I think it was two days, I talked to the physician that had done the autopsy on Brandon's body, and she informed me that Brandon's death was caused by a severe asthma attack that causes oxygen levels to dip in his heart to fail. Wow. So I got that from my uncle prior to the autopsy, and to have that piece of verifiable information you know, along with the greeting like that uh, was very comforting and helpful. And that really set me out on the course of kind of diving back into um, the whole world that my dad had been in all those years earlier and getting engaged for myself and writing two books about it. And ultimately, the purpose in doing that was, you know, at first it was a catharsis for me, Mm -hmm. a healing thing, but more so it became a way for me to help other people heal by sharing my evidence, by sharing my experiences and leading them to understand that we are more than a brain and a body, as my dad would put it. Oh, wow. What, what other things have you uncovered in the life after death world? Because obviously you had your own experience with your uncle, um, but well, I think you, you know, were driven to keep searching. 
I think in Soul Shift really chronicles my initial search, and then mm-hmm. the second book is more, I guess, a more scholarly uh, attempt at educating people on the field. Um, but the first book, really, that what the journey led me on was to, you know, I had some experiences of my own, and family members had experiences, and then I also met with some top mediums, and I chronicled those readings. One of them was actually conducted in a lab environment at the University of Arizona under controlled conditions, and it was taped for a Discovery Channel excerpt. Wow. So um, people can actually see that clip if they go to my website. There's a clip of it on the media page on my website, which if you don't mind me telling it. Not at all. It's markirelandauthor.com. So Mark with a K, Ireland like the country, author.com. And um, so that, and then the first reading I had was with a medium, Linda Williamson from England, and it was very good, and she had a lot of pertinent information and details that gave me confidence she could contact not only my son, but other loved ones who who had uh, passed on. And uh, Linda's most well-known for, most people in this that are interested in this area know the name John Edward. Uh-huh. He's yes. a psychic medium out of, I believe, New York. But John Edward had a, agreed on a secret code with his mother that was, if one of them died, they would share this code with the other through a different medium. And this is going back to kind of like the idea of uh, the code that uh, Harry Houdini had set up, you know. Yes. Um, so using that... Uh, John Edward had reached out to two mediums prior to Linda Williamson and didn't get the code. But when he talked to Linda, suddenly, early into the reading, she said, "Um, your mother's showing me that she's the guiding light in your life. And he said, that's it. The guiding light was the secret code. She was a soap opera fan. That was her favorite show. Wow. So that, you know, that was my introduction to Linda. I actually met her in England. Um, She's a very wonderful person. I met Alison Dubois, who had a reading with her before the show Medium hit it big. And this is kind of an interesting story, how that actually took place. Yeah, she hit it real big. And I I think I was one of the many addicted to watching that TV show Medium. Yeah, it started out with the initial episodes were actually um, based on true stories of things that had happened. But then they varied. Then they went Hollywood on it. But it was a fun ride, right? But based on a real person. Yeah, yeah. It was a real person. And all the, the family members are real. And Joe Dubois, now I had fears with him just less than a month ago. <laughs> but, so tell, um, tell us your story. So the way that I met her for the reading was interesting because it was uh, three weeks after Brandon's passing. Um, he, he died in January of 2004, and this was February of the same year. I was watching uh, the NBC News affiliate in Phoenix that night, and they were showing a blurb about this research being done at the University of Arizona at that time. And the medium that was in the lab was Alison Dubois. And they showed her doing some of this where she couldn't see the people she was reading for. Mm-hmm. And uh, they couldn't respond to her. But she was giving them very specific information, tangible things. And then they showed them debriefing with the people afterward. And they would share what those things meant to them. And I was really impressed. And I thought, gosh, I'd really like to have a reading from her. And I'd love to be in that lab someday. Well, the very next day, I get a phone call from a man named Jerry Concert who lives in Dallas, he was a friend of my father's. He said, Mark, I know what you've been through, and I know someone who might be able to help you. Her name's Allison Dubois, and wow. here's a phone number you can call to try and you know get an appointment with her. So I thought, okay, there's the first in a series of synchronicities mm-hmm. that took place in my life. 
And uh, so I called the number, and I did get a reading set up, but it didn't happen until later that year in August. And um, interesting, when it did finally happen, one of the first things she said to me uh, was very pertinent, because two weeks before I met her, a man had uh, contacted me and gave me a manuscript that my dad had written, but which had never been published, called Your Psychic Potential, Mm -hmm. A Guide to Psychic Development. And I asked him, I said, well... How'd you get this? He said, well, you were out of state, and at the time, your dad was close to passing away. He asked if I'd hold on to this for safekeeping. I said, well, why are you giving this to me now? It's been 12 years. And he says, I don't know. I just feel like I'm supposed to. Then it was two weeks later, I had the the reading with Alison Dubois, and one of the first things she said to me was, your father's here, and he's showing me a book. And I believe it's his book, but he's handing it to you, and it's for you to take forward. Do you know what I mean? Wow. Oh, I, I, I did know what she meant. <laughs> and and now, you know, in 2011, I actually got the book published. Wow. And, um, I, you know, I always wondered, why didn't you publish that before? But my internal gut told me that my dad kind of wanted, he felt the world wasn't ready for it. And um, just before I published it, another medium who's very gifted, Deborah Martin, in uh, who lives in Scottsdale, Arizona, she called me one day and she told me that my dad had connected with her and that he wanted to make sure that people understood the purpose of this book, and that it was a sacred book, and which, ironically, I'd already written in the foreword that it was a sacred book. <laughs> and she said, I, she says, I asked your dad why he had not published the book before now, and he told me that because the world wasn't ready for it yet. Hmm. Now, ironic that I already thought that, so it kind of shows you how sometimes these things come to us, and we discard them, and they think of we think of those things as our own internal thoughts, and sometimes I think they're dropped in from external sources. So, rather interesting. And rather interesting, definitely. So, again, my journey was, you know, the series of readings and then other experiences that were more direct. So I think, you know, the most remarkable, there were really two for me. One was a personal experience, which was a vivid dream visit. I can't even call it a dream. It's just, an, I guess, an OBE, an out-of-body experience, okay. where this happened over a year after Brandon's passing. One night, I'd actually gone to bed, and I prayed to have this visit, and I prayed to be able to remember it. And during the, the visit, the, the two of us were in a white room together uh, alone, and he was sitting on what was like a countertop, but there was no furniture or anything. It was just a white room with three walls, and the fourth wall, where the wall should have been, was like infinity. So it was like this, I don't know, uh, just this spot for us to meet in the middle of the universe is what it Mm -hmm. felt like. And he looked just like himself. It was as vivid as waking reality, if not more so. It's almost like what people describe as a near-death experience, how vivid that is for them. Uh, This was like that for me, I guess. And um, we had just a very brief chat in in that meeting. And um, he, I said, Brandon, I missed you so much since you died. And he said, I didn't die. My father died, which may seem like an odd statement. And I really had to mull that over for some time afterward. Um, and about two weeks later, his best friend was over saying hi to us. And when he was leaving, all of a sudden, I, I was telling the story, and then it just like popped into my head what the meaning was, at least the meaning that I felt he could was conveying to me was that he didn't die because we don't die. It's just a transition. Um, but part of me died inside his father, but it was it caused a rebirth in me. 
into a new chapter of my life that was more meaningful than anything that I'd done to that point. That That's pretty extraordinary, Mark, because I see it time and time again when we lose a loved one, the part of us does die inside, and a lot of people are walking around already dead, and, you know, they can spend 40 more years living physically, you know, but their heart is closed, and they're wrapped up in guilt and grief, and um, have died inside. So I get that. And it was really interesting to see my son talk to me in metaphor like that, you know? Yeah. But I think it's just a different environment, you know, and it also probably reflected his growth from the time that he'd passed and his way of viewing everything is probably far different on the other side. Um, then there was another, I'd say probably the most um, compelling of any of the direct connection stories that we had, because that one was reserved to me, but my wife, uh, six months after Brandon had died, we went on a cruise, and we were going to take that cruise to celebrate Brandon's high school graduation. Mm -hmm. But since he wasn't physically there to go with us, we took his best friend, Stu, and our other son, Stephen. And Stu and Steve were also friends, so that was a perfect setup. Well, on the day we returned home, Sue, Susie was sitting at the foot of our bed and suddenly felt Brandon's presence and then saw him as a shadow figure out of her peripheral vision, and she knew it was him. And this lasted for, I don't know, 20 or 30 seconds. And um, the very next day, we got a phone call from a musician friend named James Linton. Now, the way we'd met James, it was actually, he was a hiker on the same mountain Brandon was hiking the day that he had passed. And James and his group of friends were following the boys and got there after Brandon had collapsed and tried to help, but they were really too late. So anyhow, fast forward six months later, and uh, James was recording some songs in a studio that he had in his place. He was a guitar player and a singer, but he didn't have a bass guitar. And our son Brandon was a bass player, and he asked if he could borrow Brandon's bass. And we said, sure. So now it is, you know, the day after Susie's experience, James calls, and he said, Susie, I have something to tell you, but I don't know how to tell you this. And she figured he would say, oh, he dropped the bass or broke it or something right. like that. But he said, well, I was in recording this song, and while I was doing the recording, I felt another presence around me, and then I saw a shadow figure out of my peripheral vision. Huh. And then I saw flashes of white light, and I thought I was hallucinating, so I went to get something to eat, something to drink. I came back, it was still there, so then I went and took a shower. Each time he came back, he felt it was stronger and stronger, and then finally it occurred to him what was going on, and he said, what do you want me to do, Brandon? And when he asked that question, it suddenly was downloaded to him, and he retooled a song he was working on, um, and he, you know, entitled it The Other Side, and he said it was a gift to us from Brandon. He said, it's the best song I've ever written, but I didn't write it. It's a gift for you from Brandon. Wow. So even if you just were to discard the song part, the mere fact that he had the identical visual contact with Brandon that Susie did one day before and knew nothing about her experience was rather remarkable. Exactly. And what's the song like? I would assume it's pretty profound. It's, actually, it's, it's an upbeat rocker with profound lyrics. Huh. Um, you know, I really need to post that on my website. I, I'm trying to think what people can hear it. I know that I've sent out, um, <clears throat> I sent out a newsletter a while back where uh, I had the song connected. But if anyone wants to hear it, they can just write to me. Go to my website on the contact page and I'll, I'll send you a link to it. <clears throat> 
And what I can but do I think, too, Mark, is I have the website we don't die radio dot com, and after mm-hmm. every episode, I put a handsome picture of you, a little description, your website, and I can put in that um, that as well. And you know what else awesome. I want to put in is that video. Was your dad on? Was it the Steve Allen show that he was on? Yeah, that's a good representation of what he did. People yeah. can understand, and that, there's there's a link to that on my website. Yes, because we can we can link all of that. To- so people can listen to the song. And, and just so people it. know, too, what they see on that, you know, he only has time in that audience setup to address, I don't know, maybe eight or ten people. Uh, the video captures all of them, I believe. Yeah, it's but remarkable. In a, in a normal nightclub setting or in a, in a church or whatever, he'd probably have a hundred people. He'd actually give messages to 70 of them. So any skeptics that would say, oh, they're plants in the audience or something like that, first off, when you see the reaction of these people, you could tell they're not. And secondarily, you know, if you had an audience of 100 and you give that kind of specific message to 70 people, it's a little bit improbable that that could actually work mm. if you were fraudulent. Yeah. Um, I, I saw a medium here at home who's really big now. Her name is Maureen Hancock. And uh, there was, oh, I don't know, 60, 70 people in the audience. And the show was supposed to go from 7 to 9. And she kept talking till about 10:30 quarter of 11 she stayed on just so she could get to everybody. I mean, it it was so obvious that she was a messenger here and she wasn't going to leave anybody uh left without really validation that their loved one was still around and you know, the, it was just remarkable. I'm actually friends with Maureen and um before she knew me I actually got to know her niece, and it was through her niece that I was able to get a reading. She gave me a free reading. Now, I don't want people to get excited because I don't know that she could do that. Oh, she, but no, because she, I had some yeah. leverage there, I was able to get this reading, and she did not charge me. And she actually agreed to give it to me without knowing who I was, which I thought was great. Um, and so I got set up. She called this phone number, um, and I had a generic voicemail reading on it, too, just in case. I just said, this is Mark. Um, you know, that's skeptic of me making sure, not skeptic of the process, but wanting to make sure that everything's on the up and up. Yeah, that they're the real deal. Yeah, so she called me and gave me this reading, and it was phenomenal. She, uh, I mean, there were many hits in there. Um, among them, she brought up the name Stephen, who's my older son, and then she said, well, your son that died, I feel like it was up someplace high, and it was, it was on a mountain. And she says, um, was his name Brendan? Well, wow. Brandon. Well, close enough. Yeah, I said that works for me. So she she's phenomenal, and she's so pure of heart. Yeah, that's really wonderful. And speaking of mediums, the last time you and I had talked, you were getting involved with starting some kind of a medium certification certification program. Yeah, it's actually underway, and here's here's the gap that I'm trying to fill. Um, all the time people ask me, who can I go see? I need a, I need to see a medium. Who's good? Who's trustworthy? Right. And I do have a list, but it's limited. Mm-hmm. And um, there are other organizations that um, list, you know, um, Bob Olson has a list. Yes. Um, and then you've got um, Forever Family Foundation has a list. Winbridge Institute has a list. But here's the issue. Um, Winbridge Institute and Forever Family have a very short list. And many of those mediums are booked solid. Um, and some of them are expensive, too, because, I mean, they've earned that. You know, they're yes. at that level. Um, and Bob's list has, I'm sure, has plenty of good people on it. But the difference is I'm testing these mediums. 
under controlled conditions, and they have to go through five test readings. So I think a lot of the ones on Bob's, they're recommended by people, and they come with the recommendations, which is great. In fact, I've recommended people to him, too, that he has on his list. But I'm trying to take this up a bar in terms of putting a list of people out there that are have been through a rigorous te- five test readings and passed uh, with with qualifications based on uh, protocols that I developed in, in conjunction with um, Tricia J. Robertson, who's uh, um, former president of the SPR of Scot- uh, in Scotland, the Scottish Society of Psychical Research, which is tied to the Society of, Re- Re- Society of Psychical Research in London, uh, which is a, a well-respected organization going back to 1882. Wow. So I wrote the protocols as I thought. She helped me fine-tune them, and I'm using it. So we're actively testing now. The website's not up yet because I'm not going to launch it until I have at least you know half a dozen people certified. But then my intent is to continue the certification process so that we end up where we have 50, 100 qualified mediums, and they're in all parts of the country, so people will have a resource to go to that they can trust. And I can't guarantee a good reading, but I can guarantee that the people that went through it passed scrutiny. Um, it, it's interesting, too, what I've found so far in grading it, is that, you know, some of these meetings are going to pass, um, but they don't always have great readings. Um, but overall, they'll pass. Because, say, out of five, um, they may have, like, two phenomenal readings where they were just, like, off the charts, one that was good, and two that weren't so good. Um, it's the rare medium. It's Maureen Hancock's and people like that that are really strong every time. And that's that's a rare thing, but what I'm trying to do is give people good, solid resources they can turn to. And I'm hoping we can get that accomplished by the end of the year where we'll have that up and operating. Yeah, and what a gift that'll be because so many people hear of mediums and then they want to be recommended to one. And then, of course, who they recommended to is somebody that might be on TV that charges a couple thousand dollars and it's a three-year waiting list. But they, so to get somebody that um, is qualified, that's passed through the the series of the different controlled tests and things that, you know, and you're going to stamp your name on it, you know, I mean, that, that's a big deal. What happens, Mark, that sometimes, a medium can be real accurate and then they're not another time. Is it the medium's fault? Is it the person that's reading's fault? Is it, you know, there's too many cocktails being consumed in the hereafter and they're not coming <laughs> through clearly. Um, what is that? Cause I know that I've talked to some mediums and they've been really right on. And then other times it's like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> I- you know, I can't give you a guaranteed, accurate response. I can give you my thoughts about why I think that yeah, is. Yeah, thoughts are good. Part of it, it relates to several different things. First off, um, for whatever reason, mediums connect better with some people than others. And whether that's the energy of the sitter um, or whether it is the ability to connect with the person on the other side and their energy, I, I can't say for sure. I do know that more skeptical, cynical, negative kind of folks that try and get a reading, it doesn't tend to work as well for them. Now, is that because the medium can't be at ease, or is that because there's something energetically that doesn't work right? I don't know, but, you know, one factor is the sitter and their energy. Um, So if somebody goes in with a happy, upbeat feeling and attitude, and they're optimistic um, and positive, the odds are it's going to help more often than not. 
but you're, I can't imagine you ever not being that way. So, um, <laughs> so even people like you can get, have a bad experience or a not so good reading sometimes. And, um, I think that my dad would describe it as though it ebbs and flows. It has peaks and valleys like anything else. I almost think of it as like if it were, and I don't believe it works this way, but if it were like a radio transmission, but you were far away, have you ever been like a two states away and all of a sudden you pick up a station from yes. another state? Right. So there's, there was a radio station that I could pick up from San Francisco. I could pick it up in Phoenix. It would come in strong and it would fade away and then it would come in strong and fade away. So maybe it's something like that, you know, that we don't completely understand. Um, I also think that it's the way mediumship works. And I've learned this kind of on my own because I've had mediums tell me I have these abilities and I should work on developing them. And I have a little bit. doesn't mean that I'm ready to dive into trying to do this full time or anything, but I found that I actually do have some aptitude for this, which probably shouldn't be too su- surprising with the father I had. And the uncle. But for yeah. me, all I had to do was see, well, how does this work for me? And how it worked for me was really two things. And I would sit down with somebody who um, wanted to connect with somebody else. And I would, for me, I would close my eyes and I would try to uh, see what I could feel or visualize for that individual. And so um, I would get like imagery sometimes that would be nothing more like than what you'd see if you daydreamed. Okay. But that when I would share what that imagery was, it, it would have meaning to the person. And so um, it was just like something I didn't want to trust or believe because I thought, think that's just my imagination. And so, um, like for one particular person, I I visualized um, like part of a bicycle, the main frame part and the gear, but no no wheels or anything else. And she had said, oh, well, just before her son had passed, he was building this bicycle and it was still in their garage and that's all that was there. There was no wheels. It wasn't finished. I thought, huh. wow, that, you know, that's rather interesting. And then, you know, I shared, I knew what her daughter looked like and I saw like an image of her daughter's face and I said, I see your daughter's face. So I guess that means whatever's next is for her or about her. And then I saw look like a purse or a pack. So I brought that up and she said, oh, my daughter lives in Florida and I was talking to her today. And she was all excited because she just found this new purse on the internet. She bought it. So, you know, for me, that was like, no, it didn't feel real solid. Like, I wanted somebody saying, tell her just about the purse, you know. Right. That kind of voice coming through, but it didn't work like that. And then later, the biggest thing of all was, and this I didn't even want to say because it seemed so goofy, but I saw an image of like a paper airplane. So I said, paper plane. And so for her, that was actually the biggest affirmation of all because her um, her son fell in love with some song called Paper Planes by a band called MIA. I'd never heard of the band nor the song. And um, apparently he liked the song so well that when he lived in London, he had flatmates and he created a dance um, to that song and then they nicknamed it Devin's Dance. And some of the friends actually were getting paper plane tattoos. So that's what it meant to her. And for me, it was just like this goofy image in my head, like, am I really going to say this? This is just my oh, imagination. Yeah. But So, so that's kind of how, when I've had or experimented with it, how it's worked for me. And I can't say that it's always worked that well. I mean, that's kind of a good, really good example. Um, 
And uh, the other is just feelings. Like I'll have a feeling and I'll share that feeling. And it's just like kind of a knowing without knowing how you got the information, almost like recalling a memory or something. It's like it just drops in. Um, and sometimes that supplements the imagery in my mind. Like I have the image, I'm not clear about it, but I have a feeling to go with it to kind of clarify. So and in talking to other mediums, that's um, a lot of them have similar type stuff. Some are clear audience, so they hear, or they at least hear in their mind, not auditorily necessarily. So, you know, if you're getting vague images and you're getting things that you kind of hear and whatnot, that I can understand how it may be patchy, you know? It's not like it's always some perfect, solid thing. Mark, just... I tried an experiment for oh, an open-minded man who's kind of an engineer in mind, more skeptical, but open to this and just wanted his own experience, and I, I, I couldn't get anything. But uh-huh. he'd apparently been to a number of mediums, and none of them could get anything for him. So I, I, I don't know. I think that there's something energetically there different, either that or maybe he's not supposed to for some reason. Interesting. Yeah, we don't have all the answers. I was going to ask you, do people have to talk to a medium to believe their loved one is around or are are our loved ones around um, without the help of... You just have to talk to them. You just have to talk to them because you send telepathy to them, send them a message, tell them you love them telepathically. That's how they communicate with us. And if you get a feeling or a thought back, trust that it's them. It's that simple. You know, we don't want to because we're so logically minded, we're rationally minded, etched into thinking that if something's not tangibly physical, something we can touch, feel, or hear, that it's not real. But that's not the case, you know. The sixth sense is a subtle sense, and you have to block out the other stuff to pay attention to it. And that's so, a hard you know, thing you, to you, do with our minds you don't, being you, busy. But you don't need a medium, but... What you can get to kind of confirm those, sometimes you'll get a sign, interesting signs. Um, Two I'll give you recently that were kind of cool. Um, My older son, Stephen, got married in France in May. And so on on the train ride down from Paris to the Loire Valley, uh, my wife and I were the only two Americans in this one boxcar. And we sat down, and when she got into her seat, which was on the window, she looked for where her feet were going to go because they have these footrests. She wanted to make sure that wasn't down because she thought she might trip over it. And um, so she got up to go to the restroom, and when she came back, she looked at where her feet had been. There was a shiny object. She reached down, picked it up, and it was a brand-new 2014-minted U.S. penny. Hmm. There was nothing there before. We brought no coins with us. The only money we had was euros and only bills. So we had no coins of any kind. And there were no Americans in there either. And that coin was not there before she came back. Um, and I've not been one to really think of coins that much, but I know a lot of people get coins as a sign. And this was delivered the day before uh, Brandon's brother, Stephen, was to get married. So the next day, when, uh, when the wedding was to take place, we had something even more remarkable take place. Now, not everybody's going to get something like this, but this, this is like over the top. Hmm. But this goes back to... I have to go back to January, um, five months earlier, when a medium friend named Molly was visiting from Wisconsin, and she told she was giving us a reading. It was basically we put her up for free, and she said, "I want to give you guys a reading for putting me up here." <laughs> and uh, That's nice. so during the reading, she said, "Brandon's really excited about his brother's wedding, and he's the best man. Someone can stand in for him, but he's the real best man." 
and, and she says, I think that Stephen's going to wear a pin, like a, a memento, and I think it'll have a picture of Brandon on it. And he'll wear that in his pocket. It'll fit in his pocket. And remember the time, 2 p.m. on the wedding day. So fast forward to May, the next day after the train ride, at about 1.30 in the afternoon, one of the groomsmen approaches me, gives me a box, a gift box, and he said, this is from Liz, who's a friend of Stephen and Brandon's, who couldn't make the trip. And she said she wanted you, he said she wanted you to have this. This is for Stephen and you and the groomsmen. I open up the box. Inside are these pins that go in your pocket that display on the outside. They're like a memento, and each one had a framed photo of Brandon's face in it. So we wore those on the wedding day. Wow. And it was at 2 p.m. that my wife first saw this and was told about them. Wow. So those are the kind of signs you can get on the extreme, and they kind of confirm to you that, yeah, they're aware of what's going on. Yeah, mm -hmm. they care. They're still part of your life. You can't necessarily hear, see, touch, or feel them the way you used to, but there there are ways to communicate, you know, through your dreams, vivid dreams like I had. You can ask for that, ask for them to visit you at night, and ask to remember it, pray for that. Um, you know, you can just sit down in a quiet place and meditate. Sometimes I actually will I'll feel their energy, like, flow into me, and it'll bring a, a happy tear to my eye. Oh, um, that's nice. I found that sometimes I write things and then just think I'm writing creatively and later find out that something I've written is an exact mirror almost of something my dad wrote that I'd never read before. I, I <laughs> That's when I was writing the forward to his book, uh, Your Psychic Potential. Um, I found some manila envelopes full of old writings and it was some of the things that I'd written in the preface were almost identical to what he had written decades earlier. Wow. And Mark, I want to ask you too, um, a lot that you found out was about life after death, but a lot of your passion is helping people live a better life now. Can you shed any light on what you think our life is for, given that we don't die and we go on and our loved ones are around? Like, what's what do you think the point is of living now? Because there's a lot of people who have a lot of pain and agony now and sure. maybe no purpose, but what have you come to resolve about Well, you're that? right. I mean, uh, a lot of the work I do is for bereaved people, in particular bereaved parents, and help mm. co-found an organization called Helping Parents Heal. But in addition to that, I think equally important is for people to have a purpose in life and understand they're here for a reason. There is a path to their life. Um it's tough in a skeptical world where we're taught the, the religion of materialism, but if people can open their minds just a little bit and, abs and absorb the information, look at the evidence in an unbiased way, they'll be swayed. And if they have their own experiences, they'll be swayed even more. But I, I think it's really all about evolvement. Just like if people believe in biological evolution, well, there's I believe there's soul evolution, there's spiritual evolution. And that's why we come here for these brief stints of these short lives, so that we can evolve in an environment that demands more of us than a spiritual environment, one that refines us. Because it is a tough world. There are things we have to endure, we have to experience that are difficult, like my son passing so I would help other people, or to go through uh, difficulties. But to test you and, and see, can you do this? Can you become more compassionate and loving toward other people? 
And so that's why I think life is about. It's an evolvement process for us, uh, the spiritual side of us, to go through, to become more than we were before, to become more compassionate, more giving, caring, to lend support to others, and just to learn and experience and to enjoy life too, though. That's the other side of it. I think um, the physical world allows us opportunities to experience things that you probably couldn't experience otherwise. Like uh, whether what? that's what do you mean? Big wave surfing in Hawaii, maybe, or oh, hang gliding, okay. or a balloon ride. You know, just to enjoy those kinds of things, or going to Europe and being on a, a fast train and experiencing cafes in Paris. All those, it's it's all about balancing your life and having enjoying your life too. And for me, and I think most people, you enjoy it the most when you do it with people that you love, um, and you you bond and have relationships with people that make life fulfilling too. So, so I kind of went off on a tangent, but oh, I guess the, the short That's the, the short tangent. version is, I think that you know, for me, life has meaning. When you know that it goes on, you know there's consequences to to your behavior. I'm not talking about some sort of you know, um, if you're a bad person going to hell or anything like that, I'm talking about, you know, kind of a karmic kind of thing where, um, you know, I think it's important to treat people as you want to be treated and to try and do the right thing. Um, because what goes around comes around as I see it. Wow. Mark, I'm looking at our time and it's about time for our interview to come to an end. Um, but I want to ask if you have any closing words, anything you'd love to just get out that might help somebody live a, leave a, lead a better life today or give them some hope or maybe someone who's lost a loved one or I don't know. Well, you know, my dad, I guess in a general sense, not so much about the afterlife, but he would always wrap up his demonstrations by saying, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. Oh, um, Thanks, Dad. But I would just say, you know, um, if you if you're somebody out there who has lost someone and you're and you're suffering, you know, I want you to know that that, that I'm confident that that life goes on. I've had direct personal evidence of this, and the evidence is out there. You can read books like Sandra's or mine. Um, if you want to see a medium, if you feel like that would help you, you know, it may well. I'd be happy to give people references in the meantime till my site's built so that they can have those resources and or try the things I've suggested, try the meditation and invite them to visit you then uh, and see if you feel a shift. Um, try that when you go to bed, ask for a, a visit at night. Um, and if you're somebody who's unsure about purpose in the path in your life or, you know, is there really an afterlife or you fear death, you know, read the evidence. Um, I think it will help you if you're real rationally minded. My new book, Messages from the Afterlife, is really crafted for you. It's it's It was written for people who want a scholarly, uh, intellectual view of the subject matter. Um, and Soul Shift has some of that, too. Uh, it's more kind of the emotional um, approach, but it's all journalistic in its approach, too. But um, that's what I would say, I guess, uh, in closing, that I'm confident that there's more and there's a purpose and path to our lives and just live your life to the fullest, enjoy life, treat others well, and, and you'll, your life will be better for it. And be nice. Um, you had said before we had started the show, when you and I were talking privately, that one of your books took away somebody's fear of dying. Which one was that? 
Well, it was actually before the new book came out, so it was Soul Shift. Okay, yeah, which this, is unbelievable. <laughs> I was reading that on an airplane, and I was connected to the internet, which I think is cool. However we do that, I took a picture, posted it on Facebook. I'm like, I love this book. It was really wonderful, really good. Um, Thank you for doing that. You spiked, you momentarily spiked my Amazon ranking. <laughs> oh, I love that. I'll keep doing this after this interview. All right. Well, Mark, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And um, to our listener on we don't die radio.com, I'll have links to Mark's website and his books and the videos. And we'll get that um, song from his son. And you can also visit Mark at markirelandauthor.com. And I ask, too, if you've enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes and can take a minute to go to iTunes and type in We Don't Die and leave a review or rate the show. Um, Believe it or not, the more reviews, the more ratings, the more iTunes promotes the show. And there could be somebody that's grieving or just needs a little inspiration and your review might really help somebody who is in need. So if you have a minute, I'd appreciate that. My name is Sandra Champlain. I've been your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. And I'm going to close with the words, um, a favorite quote of mine from Neil Donald Walsh. Life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And I invite each one of us to reach outside of our comfort zones today and take one action toward a dream. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Mm